0: This episode contains spoilers. Please listen responsibly. Hello, everyone. My name is Jason Ramirez, and welcome to The Hit List, a podcast where me and guests cross off films from my watch list by watching them. I'm joined today by local actress and friend, Sydney McShann. Welcome, Sydney. Thank you for so thank you so much for being here.
1: Hi. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So the two films we will be discussing today are Rush Hour directed by Brett Ratner and The Mask of Zorro directed by Martin Campbell. So Rush Shower was on Sydney's list. Uh, Sydney, I want to know how we're friends and you haven't seen Rush Hour because I've seen it since okay. I was seven.
1: Okay. Look, <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of movies that I've seen and that you haven't. Okay. okay I just I don't know like I know it came out in 1998 so I was still a kid when it came out but like I guess like I don't know I just never got around to watching it
0: I guess it's for me because like it's considered like a, a family movie for like my family and like all my extended family like we love watching that movie like it like we'll never get tired of watching it so it's just become like a staple of like my life to have to like watch that movie at least like three times a year and just this week i was watching it three times so we did a little something a little different for this episode uh sydney watched rush shower the theatrical release and i watched the commentary from brett ratner so uh what did you think of the movie
1: all right so i thought the movie was absolutely hilarious um i love jackie chan i love chris tucker so them as like a duo it just it made for like Perfect, like, kind of co- comedy to me. I would have to say, though, that, like, again, the movie was made in 1998, and I noticed that a lot of the jokes that were made in the movie back then would, like, not fly in 2020. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of them were, like, I don't know, race based. Yeah. Surely would definitely be considered insensitive, and uh, people would have a problem with some of them
0: yeah i also noticed like um early on in the the film when they when the fbi agents have to get jackie's character when they have to get um detective lee to come into the team they say they didn't want they didn't want another chop who we detective to mess up their investigation and i didn't i thought back then that it was racist when i was like seven i was like oh that's kind of mean and i was like oh yeah that's that's really mean
1: (laughs) yeah for sure Like, and then, like, there was one point where Chris Tucker made a joke, right? When he was fighting, um, the, I forget, I don't really know the characters, but the Asian guy with the blonde hair yeah um, called him Sweet and Sour Chicken.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was mean.
1: There were a lot of good funny jokes, though, like, um, that scene where, uh, Chris Tucker gives Jackie Chan his, like, FBI ID, and we see the picture, and it's like, Chris Tucker has like an afro in it. <laughs> and like Jackie Chan looks at it and he's like, this will never work. I'm not six like, one. Okay. <laughs> like that's the issue you see with it. Okay.
0: I will say like the movie did work um because of the chemistry between the two actors. So like everyone who's seen sees the movie, they, they, they like it because of those guys. And if it were any other two actors, it probably wouldn't have worked. So the, the thing is Brett Ratner he wanted to have Jackie Chan in the movie because he grew up watching Jackie Chan movies. So he wanted him in the movie, and he had his agent or manager or whatever look at five scripts. And Rush Hour wasn't the best one, but he he thought it would work well with Jackie Chan's physical comedy. So then uh, his manager said, "Okay, you have to go talk to Jackie Chan yourself." He's like, "What? Yeah, just go talk to him yourself." So they flew him out to China. He's like, figure out like how to speak to him with it. And Brett, he said to Jackie Chan, "Hey, uh, this isn't the best script, but I think it'll work well with your physical comedy." And mm. Jackie Chan decides to do the movie with him. And later on, he told the reason to, the reason why he did the film with him is because every American director who came up to Jackie Chan kept saying that their script was the best script they'd ever seen, and they kept saying that like he's going to be a star or whatever. But when Brett came over to meet him, he said, "Hey, I know this isn't the best script, but it'll work well with, your, with the American audiences with your physical comedy." so that's why they worked together on that one because Brett was honest with him and he he saw like what he was trying what was envisioning for rush Hour.
1: that's pretty cool see that's like the kind of stuff you learn when you watch the director's um, commentary like you learn like the behind the scenes of the movie
0: yeah and also uh, another thing the reason why the chemistry like what I was trying to like get to earlier the chemistry between Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan Brett knew it was gonna work because when they're all meeting for the first time it was just Brett Jackie and Chris they're all all sitting at the table together and Chris Tucker's talking a lot Jackie Chan's talking a lot and then halfway through Chris Chris he leaned over to Brett he said hey man I don't understand a word he's saying and then after the meeting Jackie Chan he he spoke to Brett he said I like Chris but I don't understand what he's saying and he knew it was gonna work
1: <laughs> that is so funny I'm really glad they came together to um, you know to put this movie together if they pick the perfect actors for sure.
0: We might have to do another episode where you watch the other two movies.
1: No, I do need to watch the other two. I was, um, I was wondering. I was like, I wonder if the other two are as funny as the first one.
0: Um, the second one is different. They're still the same actor. There's the same characters. It's just like set in Hong Kong and Las Vegas. And mm-hmm. the third one, uh, I didn't really like that much.
1: Oh, you didn't like it?
0: No, it was just weird and. I think the I think the reason why I didn't like it as much, even when I watched it when I was younger, it came out when I was in middle school. I think it's because they still acted like the same way. I think because Jackie Chan's character Lee, he was still stoic, still like on the job. He was he's still serious and everything. He, uh, his comedy came from his physical comedy, and Chris Tucker was essentially demoted to traffic cop. And oh. I, yeah, yeah, and I want them to. I wanted to at least see him grow. After learning from the first two movies, you know, I yeah. want to see him maybe maybe like have a little seniority, have him responsible over some younger cops, and then like go back to the good old days, or like just like the old times when they, he has to like solve the investigation with um, Detective Lee, and right. that didn't that didn't really happen. I feel like the same character from like the the first movie without any, much of the growth, you know.
1: Wow. Oh. Well. Okay
0: but you should still watch it you should still watch it
1: okay i will
0: <laughs> so let's talk about some scenes that you liked what are some other scenes you liked besides what you already said
1: um i really liked a lot of jackie chan stunt scenes like the one where he um was like on the bus on like by the Hollywood walk of fame that was yeah amazing. um classic one yeah that was really awesome what else oh when he was in the pool hall and he said that racial, but <laughs> like, he didn't know it was a racial thing <laughs> had to fight everybody in the pool hall it was cool how he was using like the stuff around him as like weapons yeah yeah that part was really cool that was funny too
0: credit to the to the stunt team there as well he, um Jackie wasn't really comfortable doing it with them because oh, they're not, they weren't his stunt team like if it was his stunt team he would have gone a lot faster he would he wouldn't have had trouble hitting his stunt team with the cues the pool cues because they've probably done it all, all the time and the stunt team that he was with at that time he never worked with them so he's more cautious to make sure he didn't hurt them
1: okay
0: oh and for the hollywood walk walk of fame um huh? that bus scene so chris for like when he jumped on the bus that was actually chris right there and he had to do it multiple times and at one point he hurt himself um he oh. he kind of like got tired and he's like oh i don't want to do it anymore yeah there's a lot of things going on with that with that bus scene so you know how like the the tourists on the bus they're wearing, wearing like white hats yeah that's because there's like that's like a symbolism in china for death white means death mm-hmm. at the last minute they bleached the, the hats white to have that effect um for all of them and with the when he when Jackie Chan like just like jumped on to the sign the traffic sign he he did that uh, you know with no help you know as as he is and every time he he was on it he will be on there for five minutes and so like the the truck will come by and he will land on it I can barely do like a pull up for mm-hmm. a full minute and he did it for five minutes like several takes as well and this man he must have been like forty something at the time like he's he's not old but he's also not that young
1: that's awesome though that's that's so awesome
0: yeah it's uh it's an amazing scene like it's it only takes it's all he's only on screen for that moment for like a couple minutes but there's like so many things going on while that's happening wow yeah and also like you know how like chris he he goes on to like steal the motorcycle from the other guy
1: yeah, yeah yeah,
0: so he improvised that hit on the helmet thing and then he took the motorcycle but you don't see it uh they cut it before it happened but he when he took when he took the bike when he got on the bike fell the motorcycle fell and he broke it
1: <laughs> oh no really and,
0: and so in the next shot it's a stunt double doing it <laughs>
1: oh that's funny, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. he tried to do it himself and he broke it <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah oh, that, it was a really nice motorcycle too like it was it was new it was freshly painted he broke it
1: <laughs> but that's mean that always makes me like you see that in a lot of cop films like the cop will run up to somebody's random car and be like police I need your car <laughs> I'm like, what would I do in that situation? Like, I don't want to uh, get harder. Than, like what
0: Yeah, uh, hopefully that never happens. I don't right. I don't think I've ever heard of a cop taking a car from someone else so they can chase down a suspect. I've okay. never seen that happen in real life. I've heard of cops killing people for no reason, but never right. stealing a car. They don't go that far, okay?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It might just be one of those things that happens in movies.
0: Yeah. What other things did you like? Or some things you didn't like, actually? I mean, you already said you didn't like the racial jokes.
1: Yeah, the jokes. Like, this movie was made in 1998, and I know, like, times were different back then, but I was thinking, like, a lot of the jokes now would not be acceptable. Like, a lot of them were racial, and they would definitely be considered insensitive cultures and um, races, too.
0: I, I, the thing is with the, the jokes, I don't want, I don't want, like, take it off hand and say oh but other movies were, were worse because you know people always like oh but you're ignoring the problem in the first hand you know what I mean um <laughs> I will say that nah no I don't need to say anything I'll just leave it at that
1: <laughs> okay <laughs> sometimes that's best
0: yeah yeah
1: I think like that's like, about it the things like, I may not have liked like I really enjoyed the movie as a whole like it was so funny And, like, Mm -hmm. the fight scenes were choreographed well. Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker had great chemistry. Oh, I really thought it was cool how, like, um, when they were in the, like, the gallery thing or the convention center at the end of the movie, because they were, like, showing the the ancient Chinese artifacts. I thought that was so funny how, like, Jackie Chan, while he's fighting everyone, he's, like, trying to save the artifacts at the same (laughs) time. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like wow that that really goes to show like how important like his culture is, and that he's while he's fighting for his life, he's also fighting to save these artifacts from getting destroyed
0: that that's a great scene and um the thing is um uh, as well I uh, found out in the commentary is that 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 little scene right there was actually- sh- shot on a set and not at the convention center itself it was shot in Hong Kong with his stunt team, so like those two actors that he's fighting with oh wow. Are his own stunt team, yeah, it's a whole set right there over in a studio in Hong Kong, and I never knew that you you wouldn't even notice it because it looks like the exact same stuff from the convention center, so it's just like a lot of things that you don't even notice, speaking on the convention center, you know how they're like Jackie Chan is up at the top of the like in the ceiling trying to uh, stop Jun Tao from like leaving in the helicopter. Mm-hmm. So you know how they're fighting on like the wire not the wires, but you know, like the the foundations of the ceiling essentially. So yeah. so that scene was also a set. So the thing is the convention center didn't want the film crew or anyone to go up that high onto like the to the ceiling to go up that high. I think cause you know, uh insurance issues, liability. I could understand why they well they didn't want anyone up there because it's very dangerous. It's like a hundred feet foot high they didn't want anyone else like shooting up there i would have been scared to go up there so what they did what they did is they, they say they just made a set they just took pictures of it and just made a set it looked exactly like it to match it and they shot it there i'm like huh i mean i kind of expected that to be true because how they shoot that all the way up high and yeah. but like when you see it it kind of looks exactly the same you know
1: mm-hmm.
0: but yeah that that fall from all the way up there that was um i know wow that was scary to watch like it, it, every time every time i watch it it's like wow that could have gone very bad
1: i know that was that was crazy when he wrote down that banner like it was like a slide i was like oh wow
0: so i want to speak about like the beginning of the movie when he's when jackie chan's in hong kong by the way for the audience i'm gonna keep saying jackie chan because He's Jackie Chan. Like, you'll know I'm talking about the character when I'm speaking about it. Or I'll just say Lee. It's interchangeably. You'll hear me say it just for future reference. So when Lee is in the Hong Kong Bay trying to infiltrate uh, and get all the bad guys from like selling drugs or whatever they're doing, their operations, I-, I forgot what they were doing. When he opens the hatch and confronts the bad guy, the guy with the blonde hair,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he sa- he says stop right there whatever. He's actually speaking Mandarin right there. Afterwards, when they were like, cutting the scene together, he, Jake Chan's manager, he was like, wait a minute, play that again. And they played it again. He's like, yo, I don't know what he's saying. Because apparently, Jackie Chan, he said he didn't pronounce it right or whatever in Mandarin because he speaks Cantonese. So, Uh-oh. and then, like, they said, oh, no, we'll leave it in because American audience wouldn't even tell the difference. And he's right. Uh, we I didn't even know there was a difference between, like, the way he said it because he didn't say it properly. It wasn't <laughs> a proper Mandarin. Yeah. And also, do you remember that scene when, like, he's, like, he jumps up in between the trailers because it's, like, moving in on him? Yeah. So he almost hit his head in between, like, right there. When he, like, landed, when he jumped up, his head almost got swashed right there.
1: Oh, my goodness. That's scary. I
0: didn't even know that because he did it so perfectly that you don't even think he had any help. He didn't have any help. He just did it himself, you know, as he does. He has experience doing this from, like, his years of filmmaking in Hong Kong, and beforehand, that it was very scary to see it. Like w- once I heard that, I'm like, oh, that could have, that could have been very wrong right there. A lot of things right here.
1: Yeah, a lot can go wrong. And like actors have died on set from trying to do stunts.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. So like, there's this one I remember. There was like, a Twilight Zone movie. They were shooting like a a Vietnam scene, and there was like a helicopter hanging low, and one of the actors and two young girls died. Because the helicopter, like, fell on them, essentially.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah. Uh, I forget the name of the actor. But, like, the thing is, he always... He never went on a helicopter because he was always afraid of dying in a helicopter. Wow. And he died because of a helicopter.
1: That's terrible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But let's move on to some of the actors in this movie. So, Brett said he wanted to bring the best actors on board to like compliment Jackie Chan because he wants to surround him with it. It brings out the best in Jackie when he's surrounded by like really good actors. So the girl, the girl who plays Su Young, they went through a lot of resources to try to find the perfect girl. So they went through LA, they went through New York and they even went through um, Hong Kong to find the girl to play Su Young. And they eventually chose the girl who plays her because she just seemed to be the perfect fit for it. And I, I think that was, like, the right decision right there.
1: Yeah, she was very, she was an adorable little girl. Like, she did a good job.
0: And she said, push the goddamn button.
1: Oh, that was so funny. when She was, like, um, when Chris Tucker was, like, just play along. And she...
0: <laughs> she knew immediately what he meant. Yeah. <laughs> and funny thing about that is that, like, Chris, he really wanted to say the F word. They were trying to keep it PG-13. and. He knew he he knew if he said it, the girl would say it as well. <laughs> and I think that would have been even funnier to see that. Push the F button. Yeah, push the F
1: button. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that would have been funny. But mm-hmm. yeah, that, that was a really funny scene. The little girl was really good.
0: So I also learned from the directing director's commentary, I learned some stuff uh, for filmmaking as well. So the way they cast this movie is they cast people based on the relationship between the characters. So the FBI agents, they cast them because they looked good together on screen. If they didn't look good together, it wouldn't have he wouldn't have looked good. So that's the way they cast them. The thing is with the with Chris Tucker's character, he has a whole arc in the movie as well. So this is like a basic storytelling right here. Like a character has an arc they want and they have something they want to achieve and they learn something from the experience that they go on and then they change what their goal was in the first place. So with Chris Tucker, um, Chris Tucker's character, he he wanted to showboat. He didn't want a partner. He wanted to show how much of a badass he is and he wanted to achieve it by going on the FBI investigation. Essentially, they put him on a job because he he blew up like a, a car on the job and a guy's pinky got shot. So he's basically like on a babysitting, babysitting job with Jackie Chan's character. But he, learns, he learns from the experience. He essentially becomes less bigoted or whatever. Uh, I'm not really sure after his experience with Jackie Chan, with Detective Lee. And then he also like learns he doesn't want to be in the FBI because he know he learns his own value you also learn I didn't notice this first time I saw it or like the second time but the way these two actors Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker the way they improvise is different so Jackie Chan he'll use a prop to improvise so as you see like most, most of his movies he'll like take a plate and learn and use the plate to fight or he'll get on a chair and use the chair to fight and that's the way he improvises, that's his physical comedy. Chris, he'll use people around him to improvise. So like that scene where he gets into like the council's um, building, he touches one of the agents. He said, I'm gonna need one of those right away. Like he's pointing to earbud, I'm gonna need those right away. He he does that throughout the movie. And it just seems so natural because he, he just does it. And it works because he makes it funny.
1: That's pretty awesome. This goes to show the talent of the actors. <laughs>
0: Also, another thing I realized is that this movie is an action, action comedy, but it's shot like a thriller. I'm like, oh, that's why I like it, you know? Like, any other action comedy movie, they don't focus more on the jokes, but this movie was more, like, about the plot, and that's what I really liked about the movie. They just kept it moving. Like, they will just be, like, funny things happening throughout the movie, but they don't, they don't stop to make the joke. They just let it pass, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, it was it's, like, the pacing was different, and it was always about the scene and not the jokes.
1: Nice. I like yeah.
0: that. So I, I I'm pre, I'm pretty much um taking over this conversation because I really loved the movie. And yeah.
1: <laughs> well I <you> have also <laughs> watched the director's comedy. So I mean not comedy, commentary. <laughs> so you have a little more like insight on the behind the scenes of like what happened and like I guess like the backstory to like how it happened. I can understand why you would have like a little more to say.
0: I've also seen this probably a hundred times throughout my life, so oh. And I have like the Blu-ray collection, you know?
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, I bought it for $10. I was like, are you serious? This is $10? Like, what? That's funny. Let me just ask you real quick. Do you think you should have seen this movie sooner?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I definitely should have seen it
0: sooner. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. (laughs) And now a word from our sponsors. Now back to the show.
1: Okay, Jason. So you had The Mask of Zorro on your list. Why that movie?
0: So I I saw The Legend of Zorro, which is the sequel to The Mask of Zorro, back in like 2005. I was very young when I saw it. I remember I liked the costume for Zorro, but I never really, I didn't really have access to watch the original movie. So I just never watched it. And then I saw it on Netflix and I thought, you know what, might as well watch it. Because I'm a fan of like those swashbuckler movies where like the the hero fights with a sword and outsmarts his enemy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And similar movies like The Princess Bride and Stardust are movies I really like as well. So yeah, that's why I watched it. That, that's why I wanted to watch it. And also I didn't know that it was directed by Martin Campbell. For those of you who have been listening to this series uh, since the beginning, you'll know that from the first episode, we watched The Foreigner with Jackie Chan that was also directed by Martin Campbell. So it's just like a full circle right here.
1: It is, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I wanted to watch it.
1: But that's funny that you say that, like, it reminded you of, like, the Princess Bride, like, the swashbuckling film, because that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, even, like, Zorro's, like, costuming and, like, the... uh... Used to swords and stuff like it really reminded me of the Princess Bride.
0: And I know that um, when I first saw Princess Bride, I knew it was like a direct reference to Zoro with the costume.
1: That makes sense for sure because it looks very identical. Yeah. So, did you like the movie?
0: I really enjoyed this movie. The vibe I got from the movie, the vibe I got was it felt like the mummy, like the 1999 movie The Mummy, because, like, just like the I don't know how to describe it. You
1: also like Brendan Fraser a lot, right?
0: Yeah, I really like Brendan Fraser, but I liked more people than Brendan Fraser from The Mummy. Like all the all the actors from The Mummy were all were all like endearing and likable in their own right. And it's just like the vibe I got, like the sense of adventure, the danger, and everything from it. Like I just liked it. That's like the vibe I got from both movies: the sense of adventure, the danger, the stakes. I just felt that from both movies. So yeah. And before we start recording, you said you found a movie okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you going to call me out like that, man? <laughs> um, yeah, it was okay. I don't know. I feel like movies like that, I have to be in a certain mood to watch. Mm. And I just, it was, I was having a hard time, like, paying attention. Or it was having a hard time keeping my attention. Like, and then also the movie was over two hours long, man. I was like...
0: This. did you watch it on D B T V? tv on what on indb tv
1: no i watched it on this random website
0: oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> no i was gonna say because i watched it um, on that website because it was free but like it felt longer because of the ads but it must have just been a long movie by itself already
1: yeah no it was i looked in the it was over two, it was like two hours and 16 minutes long and i was like wow okay but I mean, it had a great cast. Like the movie is very entertaining. I just wouldn't. I just wasn't in the mood to watch that genre at the time. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah I just saw it. Yeah, it's two hours and sixteen minutes, and I watched it well into like two a.m. when I first started it. I'm like, oh, I didn't know it's gonna be this long. I liked it. But yeah, that's um, that's interesting because it just shows like how our tastes are really different. Um, uh, because I will watch an action movie all the time, like it. Mm. I'll watch it to like, just to chill. Like, oh yeah, I like these action movies. Now, whenever I look at action movie, I look at it differently because I've had experience like making my own choreography for some of my um, smaller projects. I'm like, okay, I I see what they did there. You know, it's like hard to enjoy it because you know how it's made, but I'll still watch them because um, like Brett said in the commentary, action movies are universal because you don't need to know the language to know what's going on essentially.
1: Oh, I mean, that makes sense for sure. There's fighting. What else do you need to know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's kidnapping. What else do you need to know?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I wanna say, um, the first twenty minutes of the movie, I didn't know it was gonna be with what's his name? Anthony Hopkins, if I
1: remember. Oh his my name. goodness. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. I was like I was like, why does he look so familiar? <laughs> so I, I I knew his name and I Googled it and I was like, Oh, of course, Hannibal Lecter. But yes. like, that just seems so I don't know, weird to me that he would be playing in an action movie as like, as Zorro. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that was, that kind of blew me. But I thought that was cool at the same time too. I guess it shows his versatility.
0: It definitely does. When I found out who it was, uh, I was like, is that really Hamlet? I looked it up. Oh, it is and then when you see him escaping from the prison and it's like it's almost exactly the same method he escaped from the cops and um that what was the movie again it was like
1: Uh, was it in silence of the lambs yes
0: yes silence of the lambs he basically like switched the bodies (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i'm like yo this is the same method he used in silence of the lambs
1: (laughs) yeah no that was good he was good in that role i enjoyed it like seeing on the screen
0: yeah he 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 really commands the presence of the screen whenever he's on there he's like oh Okay. I see it. Yeah. So uh, a thing I noticed Zorro, he's a public domain character. He's been around since the early 1900s. And he was the inspiration for Batman when Batman first came out, I believe in the 1930s. So, when you see like some of the things in in the movie where Zodo he has the support of the people, um, the cops hate him, or like the the soldiers hate him, and he has a horse that trusts him, you know a trusty horse that's really fast and it's mysterious and when he goes down to his cave that's hidden behind a waterfall and right beneath his mansion, and the secret entrance is in a fireplace, like literally inside the fireplace, you see where the inspirations for Batman are right there,
1: yeah I'm like. Wow,
0: this is like legit old school, old school Batman.
1: That is awesome. I didn't know that, but it completely makes sense. Completely like the vigilante type, yeah.
0: And also the same vibe of like a rich man who wants to solve his problems by fighting the man, yeah. but like not really trying to help the people with the money he has.
1: <laughs> true, very <Man>.
0: true. <laughs> <laughs> the first 20 minutes. Well, actually, the first 10 minutes when he, he rescues the three peasants who are just chosen in random to be executed.
1: I know, that was messed up.
0: Yeah, it was messed up. It was messed up. Like, wow, okay, the people really hate you. There's a good reason why. Yeah. So to me, that felt like the conclusion for an older Zora movie because there have been Zorro movies throughout the 20th century. This felt like it would have been the conclusion to one of those old movies where like he has to like save the day. And then he rides off into the sunset. Like when you see, I love that one shot right there where he he gets onto like the the steps of like this one building and the sun is right behind him and you see the silhouette and the the horse like stands on his hind legs and Zora has the the sword in the air. That's a great scene. And that would have been the final shot for the movie if it was like another movie. Yeah. So when I first, when I was watching this as well, I thought things were going to go wrong at the execution. I thought like he was going to fail and then the little young character Alejandro, he would have felt like he needed to take up the mantle, so he changed his whole life to become El Zorro. And no, no, it actually, it's actually a successful, successful mission. Essentially, he saves the day, he saves the people, and he goes home to his wife and, and daughter. I thought, oh, okay, I guess he's just going to retire now. That nope. was wrong.
1: <laughs> that was crazy. Like that part where Catherine de' Jones' character, the daughter, comes out, and it like reveals that. um... Like his enemy raised his daughter as his Oh soldier. man! I was like, wow. So now he has to pretend like he doesn't even know his own daughter. Like that. That was terrible.
0: That broke my heart right there because you oh. see him. He is ready to throw hands. Like he's like pushing through the crowd. Like let me get this man. Let me get him. And then he sees her and like, oh, I can't. I can't.
1: Yeah. That was
0: crazy. So uh, I want to talk about the, when you see Antonio Maneras, when he comes on screen for the first time, he's Mm -hmm. tied up, he's handcuffed, along with the brother. He looks raggedy. Yeah, he is raggedy. (laughs) (laughs) He He looks like he smells too. Yeah. It was very clever the way they played it up because I thought they were actually captured, but they weren't. They were working with the guy who like essentially quote unquote captured them mm-hmm. to, to steal the strong box with the money inside. And then like afterwards you see like the, the soldiers um, come in and they're like, nope, you're not you're not running anywhere. So I didn't know this, but the guy who played Alejandro's brother, the character, it was based off someone who was a famous bandit back in the day. And I just thought it was cool to like mention that.
1: Yeah, that was cool. That scene was kind of sad though, because his brother just shoots himself.
0: Yeah, that was like out of nowhere. Like, oh, you really didn't want him to kill you, so you kill yourself. Yeah. Wow.
1: Like, and then Alejandro just has to watch in the bushes as his brother kills himself.
0: Yeah, and also like when he Captain Love, that's his name, Harrison Love, he just like chops off his head with one sw- one swoop, and I'm like, dude, like, what, what, what is your, what is your motive right here? He's dead.
1: Oh. <laughs> Jeez, that was crazy
0: but yeah so another fun fact i found is the guy who played captain harrison love he also played the reverse flash in the flash series really yeah he's the reverse flash
1: i'm not that familiar with like the flash series
0: though yeah uh i stopped watching after season three but he also showed up in legends of tomorrow in season two he was the antagonist there he does it very well he does he does a great job as the reverse flash i believe and when he says I'm gonna kill you I'm like oh yeah <laughs> so were there any else, any scenes in here that you liked
1: um I definitely liked when Anthony Hopkins character like escaped from the prison I liked when it revealed that his daughter was being raised by his enemy everybody, I'm sure everybody was like oh, oh my goodness like the audience <laughs> I liked when um Antonio Banderas character transformed like, he kind of went from, like, the raggedy bandit to, to like, the new Zoro. And then I liked when, like, they had it, like, him and Catherine Zeta-Jones' character, like, had a kid. And he was telling the kid, like, you know, like, the legend of Zoro. Like, I was really sweet. Yeah,
0: definitely. And speaking of like the Alejandro's transformation from from Raggedy Bandit to El Zorro, I got Bruce Wayne vibes when he he went to that party and he acted like a a Spanish nobleman to everyone and everyone believed him. I'm like, yo, this is Bruce Wayne vibes right here.
1: Yeah, for sure. He looked really handsome. Like he was all cleaned up and like refined, you know.
0: Yeah. And then that dance scene right there.
1: Yeah, the dance scene. That was
0: nice too. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know what type of dance that was. Maybe it was tango. I'm I'm not too familiar with dancing.
1: Oh, I don't know. I I don't
0: know. <laughs> it, it was something. It was something.
1: something. <laughs>
0: we didn't even go over, but like when uh Alejandro first meets Don Diego and he learns he's Zoro, he is mm-hmm. such a fanboy he's like you remember that one time you did that
1: <laughs> i know that was, that's so sweet it's like meeting like i don't know like your idol you know
0: yeah like, yeah
1: you look up to it's
0: happened it's happened to me quite a few times whenever i go to conventions i'll i'll meet someone the first time it happened was when i met um edward james Ormos at baltimore comic-con i was like 19 i was like
1: oh,
0: edward james almost <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's so cool
0: yeah this, like, the second time it happened uh was when I went Adam West, but it was like a very short meeting because I, it was for a photo. I, oh. Yeah. I'll probably put in the show notes, but like I just found it because I didn't have a digital copy, I had the physical copy. That I just found it. I'm like, oh, I'm smiling way very widely. I'm like this.
1: <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. You were excited to see to see to meet him, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and also like the um, when everyone else meets uh, Alejandro and he is Zoro, they're all just as just as much of a fan as he was you know they're like oh, just like the old days man right <laughs> <laughs> a, a quick fact so you know how you're watching Amazon what you're watching on Amazon Prime and they will have general trivia when you just click on click on the screen yeah so I saw that Robert Rodriguez was the original choice for director of this movie. And for those of you who don't know, Robert Rodriguez, he is the director of Spy Kids, Sin City, Alita Battle Angel. And this was back in the 90s, so he would have been off the, the fame from El Mariachi and the sequel Desperado. Desperado also stars Antonio Banderas as El Mariachi, so the, the chemistry between the director and the actor would have already been there. It would already established like, how they worked together.
1: And he was in Spy Kids, too. He
0: was, yeah, yeah. I, why, why did I forget that? Like, I always focus on the that's kids.
1: The first thing, that's, like, what I always recognize him from Spy Kids. I, that's probably, like, the first thing I saw him in. Because I was, I, I was like, really little when it came out. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I keep forgetting that. Because I always focus more on the kids in Spy Kids. Because it's called Spy Kids. But, like, I was like, oh, yeah, the Antonio Benitez was in that movie. And so was um, Danny Trejo and Machete. Oh, yes,
1: yes. He was he
0: played the uncle, yeah, yeah, but the reason why they switched um directors between from Robert Rodriguez they moved away from Robert Rodriguez is because the script and the vision that Robert had would have been more violent, and it would have been rated R, oh, but the wow. studio the studio didn't want that they wanted something to reach a general audience, yeah uh, and not so violent and I think they um I think they made a good call right there, you know like they they knew what they wanted, they knew what type of mood they wanted, and they knew. Who to call? I hear cats.
1: Yeah, that's Jasper.
0: Oh, Jasper. Let's talk a, bit, a little bit about the cruelty that happens in the movie. So when I first saw the the workers and the child workers and the elderly workers, I just thought about the kids at the border, the ones that are caged up. And those are exactly the type of kids that are caged up as well. So I just felt for, for them. And I could see... I was like, you know what, this character, this villain, he he should die.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, what he's doing is cool and evil. like.
0: And in fact, he, he, he was going to, not, not he was going to, he did. He locked them up in cages and he was going to set the whole place to explode and let them all die. Yeah. And I'm like, bruh, you're evil. Like, you're, you're, you're mustache evil, like the curly mustache evil, you I know?
1: Feel- super villain man (laughs)
0: right there he's putting the damsel in distress tied up on the train tracks evil but like instead of one woman it's hundreds of people
1: yeah
0: and also the other point of cruelty when captain harrison love he invites alejandro to his office suspecting him of being alejandro and not the nobleman he claims to be and out of nowhere he just pulls up a jar of his brother's head in, in like water or oil and just puts it on his desk. Like, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, would you like a drink? I'm like, bruh, what What are you doing? Like,
1: That in itself right there is traumatizing. Like, that's sick. Like, yeah, imagine how sick you have to be to do that to someone.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, it would have been traumatizing if it was someone else's head. But now it, he knows it's his brother's head. He has to yeah. act like it's not his brother.
1: Yeah, he has to, like, keep it together. Or he'll blow his cover. But, like, I... He was probably fuming on the inside.
0: Mm-hmm. But I already mentioned like the Batman vibes I got from here because this Zorro was essentially the inspiration for Batman. I mentioned that. But some other things I've noticed that have been used in Batman media. So the whole thing of Don Diego mentoring Alejandro to become the next Zorro, you see the same thing happen in Batman Beyond where our young Terry McGinnis he wants to find the people who murdered his father. And old Bruce Wayne teaches him how to, how to become Batman to solve it. And they learn how to do that all from the cave, from the lair. And also another thing I noticed is that like when they have the Z on the field, they, they burned a Z onto the field, like a huge Z. The same thing happened in The Dark Knight Rises when Batman somehow found the time and took the time to uh, make a bat signal. And burn it onto one of the buildings to let people know he's in the city. And yeah, so you, you kind of see it like in other places like that as well.
1: That's true. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. That is pretty cool. Like the, the references, like pop culture references, like how today's culture borrows from like past things.
0: And then how the future culture borrow from us.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not pretty much.
0: One of the scenes I believe they could have like left out. Uh and the one one of the scenes I didn't like is when Zoro he comes into the horse barn, whatever, and Elena, Catherine Zana Jones character, she stops in a sword fight and then by the end, Zoro like cuts off her clothing and she's left naked.
1: Oh goodness. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I didn't care for that scene. Uh also because he kisses her like unprompted. But like by the end she's like, Oh, but I want him anyway. But like, no dude, you you, you kissed her and without her consent. Yeah, it's just, it was just a weird scene for me, you know?
1: Yeah, it was supposed to be charming, I guess, but kind of weird.
0: Yeah, and they could have done without it, and that's all I had to say about that.
1: Okay. So, Jason, did you have seen this movie sooner?
0: Yeah, I really think I should have seen this movie a lot sooner. I'm a huge fan of Swashbuckler movies, and this movie was very adventurous, a lot of fun to watch, and I wouldn't even go on about the we didn't even talk about the horse chase scene where he's like jumping from horse to horse because mm. that, that was an impressive like, scene by itself. I wonder how many takes it took them to do that one. But yeah, I, I should have seen this movie a lot sooner and that just makes me appreciate it a lot more now as an adult who's trying to make movies kind of like these movies, you know? Yeah. Okay, so we reached the end of our discussion. Sydney, thank you so much for being here. And before we go, I want to ask you, were the movies a hit or a miss with you?
1: Uh so Rush Hour was a hit, Mask of zoro was a miss. Okay, okay.
0: Um <laughs> I because it was because you had to be in a certain mood for it, right?
1: Exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay, I understand.
0: I I I can I can respect that. For me, both movies were a hit. Rush Hour has always been a hit for me and zoro if I'd seen it sooner, it would have been a hit as well. So, yeah, both movies were a hit for me.
1: Nice. Nice.
0: So, Sydney, where can our listeners find you on social media?
1: All right. So, on Instagram, my handle is Sydney McShan. That is S Y D N E Y M C S H A N. And also on YouTube, Sydney McShan, spelled the exact same way as my Instagram. Awesome.
0: Awesome. So, that's the episode, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, Cross off a new film from your list. Thank you for listening to the Hitlist Podcast. If you like this episode, please consider giving us five stars and leaving a review. It really does help. You can also follow us on Facebook at The Hitlist Podcast and Instagram at The underscore Hitlist underscore podcast.